You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Over the weekend, President Trump made headlines again for his use of language on Twitter. In a series of defensive tweets, the president insisted that recent questions about his intelligence and fitness for office raised in a new critical book were unfounded. And in the middle of it, he wrote this phrase, quote, Throughout my life, my two greatest assets have been mental stability and being, like, really smart. Like, really smart. It's something you might hear from a teenager or someone else whose hesitative language affect moves them to overuse of that word, like. But I don't know that I've ever, ever, anywhere seen someone write a phrase that included the word like in that usage. And to boot, the president punctuated the phrase correctly, setting the word like off by commas, suggesting that this wasn't necessarily an excited utterance the way that you would hear it, but something that was thought out and purposeful the way you would read it. Substance of the president's tweets got a lot of attention, but I am really curious about his use of language here and what it says about him, about social media, about language usage in general. And I am not the only one. Ben Zimmer is a linguist, lexicographer, and language columnist for the Wall Street Journal. He also took note of the president's use of like and wrote about it for The Atlantic. He joins us now to talk about what he found. Ben Zimmer, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I, I want to start with this uh, this surprise of mine. Uh, this, uh, As soon as I saw the tweets, I looked over and over again at that, that phrase. And what I was looking at was the commas that set off the word like, which is grammatically correct. But as I said in the intro, I don't think I've ever seen that written in expression. In, in other words, I've never seen somebody stop and and type out the word like the way you hear people say it sort of instinctively now in casual conversation uh you you honed in on that same uh that same question with regard to the president's tweets yes absolutely it it uh, did strike many people as peculiar and in general we don't expect to see features like that which are highly conversational um showing up uh, in text that we're reading. Of course, Twitter is a special case. Twitter, along with other um, forms of electronic communication, really, uh, because very often people try to mimic their conversational style um, in text. Mm-hmm. So it kind of uh, operates in this gray zone where, um, where, where various sort of conversational uh, styles uh, get replicated on some level. But it's still, as you say, unusual to see that word like thrown in there, even though, you know, we, we hear it all the time in speech, but to see it so meticulously set off with commas um, uh, really struck a lot of people as unusual, even for Trump, who makes lots of peculiar choices in his tweeting. Yes. And so that led to various speculation. Well, you know, maybe he said it and uh, someone like Hope Hicks, his communications director, was the one actually, you know, taking the dictation and writing out the tweet, which is very possible. Um, but it's interesting if you actually go back and look, this idea of uh, Trump calling himself 
like really smart is something that he's been doing ever since he um, announced his candidacy back in uh, the summer of 2015. Um, this is a kind of a, a, a verbal tick that he has mm-hmm. where whenever he starts uh, talking about his own intelligence, he uses this hedging device using that like in there as a way almost to disarm the, the fact that he's evaluating himself as smart. Um, to me, it seems like what he's doing there is trying to inoculate himself a little bit against the idea that he's just you know, boasting about his own intelligence um, by throwing in uh, what linguists would call a discourse particle, um, which most people don't think of as very smart at all. Right. <laughs> um, it's often associated, as you say, with, uh, with younger speakers and is generally disparaged and stigmatized um, when people use that word, especially if they use it uh, very frequently. Yeah. Um, and so Trump throws in this word that, uh, for most people, doesn't sound smart as a way of kind of having his cake and eating it, too. He can, he can trumpet his own intelligence at the same time he hedges a bit by using that word like. Yeah. Uh, the, as I say, I, I also have not seen that uh, in in print before and written this expression. Uh, you say that it's possible that somebody was being dictated to and wrote it down. But even under those circumstances, it seems it seems improbable that you would include like in the written form of it. I mean, it, it seems as though you would, if you were, if you were the person who was translating that dictation into the tweet, you'd leave that out as a way of, uh, as a way of uh, inoculating the, the, the speaker from that stigma, as, as you point out. And so, I mean, I, I, st- I think there's still this question about how this all sort of happened. And it, and it raises for me uh, bigger questions about that use of social media, the way that we, um, the way that we characterize ourselves in the use of social media. I mean, in in some ways, it's quite purposeful. If you think of Facebook, uh, the way that people really carefully curate uh, the, the the sense of themselves in their Facebook profiles and in their Facebook posts. Uh, no one posts, for instance, the the the, the meltdowns they might have. Uh, about about uh, embarrassing meltdowns they might have about something on on Facebook. It's it's the the, the face that you want to project to the world. Uh, in, in this case, uh, the idea of projecting the face of s- sort of an immature speaker associated with the president of the United States seems really really incongruous. I mean, there's something about it that I guess I just still can't make sense of. Right. Well, I mean, if you again, if you look at the way that Trump has done this in speech, he's not throwing in like as a discourse particle all the time. He's actually being rather purposeful in the way that he deploys that like discourse particle. And over and over again, he's using it when he's saying, I'm like a really smart person or I'm like smart. I'm really smart. Uh, You know, in these times when he's going on about his Ivy School, Ivy League um, education or, uh, you know, uh, where where he even told the um, the CIA uh, crowd when he on his first official day in office at the CIA headquarters, um, he said, "Trust me, I'm like a smart person." Right. I mean, people people have pointed out the fact that he's been doing it, and uh, he still continues to do it. So it, there's something very purposeful about that specific use. And you know, uh, these days we might associate that use of like with a particular stereotype of 
for instance, young women, very often it's a kind of a valley girl stereotype. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when Trump uh, tweeted out that like tweet, a lot of people said it made him sound like a valley girl. (laughs) Um, But there are stereotypes going back to the 50s, back when that use of like was associated with beatnik types. So for instance, Maynard G. Krebs, played by Bob Denver on the old Dobie Gillis show, used like (laughs) all the time. Um, So it's very possible that in Trump's mind, when he he uses this word like, he thinks he's being somehow self-deprecating because, again, it's a a word that he might think is someone like Maynard G. Krebs (laughs) uses or something like that, as a way of somehow downplaying the fact that he's referring to his smartness in that way. Um, But it is... uh, interesting because it does yeah it does when we look at things like this even though it's one little word it can tell us something about the way that trump in this case presents himself the kind of persona that he builds and sometimes it's hard for us to figure out exactly what is he trying to accomplish here and so that's why i think even just this one tiny thing of the word like set off by commas set off so much speculation and conversation on twitter yeah uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Ben Zimmer. He is uh, a linguist and lexicographer, language columnist for The Wall Street Journal. He took notice, as I did, of President Trump's use of like in written expression in a tweet over the weekend, defending his genius, as he points out, against criticism that he is somehow not very stable, not very smart, not very inquisitive as president of the United States. I have not seen a written expression like this before, uh, the use of like uh, in that in that way in print. Uh, and Ben Zimmer wrote an article in The Atlantic noting that usage and the rarity of that usage in written expression. We're talking about what that says, not just about President Trump, but what it says about social media, what it says about language and our culture, which we all know is changing very rapidly as a result of the fact that we can all speak to the world now uh, with uh, a few clicks of letters on our cell phones. If you want to join the conversation, tell us what you thought of what the president did. Tell us what you think it tells us about him and about social media and our culture. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Megan on Twitter says, Like is commonly used in spoken and written communication in my circle, millennials who were teens and tweens, in the 90s and aughts, I don't see anything inherently concerning about using like and think there are more important things to talk about. Megan, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the comments there. I'm uh, not sure I agree with that. I think uh, language and language usage is actually pretty important. Uh, says a lot about uh, us and our leaders and our culture. But, uh, but I do appreciate your listening, and I appreciate the comment. Let's go to the phones here. Uh, Tom in Northwest Detroit, you're up first. Yeah, good morning. Go ahead, and the, your guest, uh, Professor Zenner, with it, as they added, says, great minds think alike, because that was going to be my comment. Sounds like valley girl jargon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I made a comment when you posted it over the weekend sometime that, you know, he reminds me a little bit, and I might be insulting the actor, but Terrence Aloysius Mahoney. 
and uh, from the Bowery Boys. But to me, it shows that, you know, Trump doesn't have a good command of the English language. That's, uh, that's an mean, interesting you know, observation, who, Tom. Who would think that a president, I mean, a man, a person that's sitting where they are, you know, resorts to, you know, language such as this? Yeah, so, that's a, I think that's a really interesting observation. I'm not sure I absolutely agree with that, but but I'm, I'm glad you raised that point. Ben Zimmer, I'll let you address that uh, this idea that that sort of language use reflects something about the speaker's intelligence. I think that's a somewhat controversial idea, but uh, but I'll let you I'll let you answer that. Um, well, I I would say that um, the as I was saying before that the use of like as a discourse particle and other sort of modern uses of like that that often get stigmatized uh, as the caller said associated with valley girl talk and that sort of thing. Um, I would not say that that is somehow a marker of intelligence or the lack thereof, but certainly in the common uh, consciousness, it, it gets uh, associated with a very, a very often younger people and that sort of thing. But as I said, I think that, that Trump was consciously using it as a way to, to um, inoculate himself or, or, or um, disarm the idea that he's calling himself really smart because he does this over and over and over. He did it on the campaign trail, and now he just happens to be carrying it over in a tweet. And uh, it's surprising to see, but I, I think that it's, um, it's, it kind of is in keeping with what Trump has done with language, both uh, uh, spoken language and tweeted out, where he does very often focus on basic vocabulary. And people can say, oh, well, that means he... He lacks an extensive vocabulary. You may recall a famous quote from Trump where he says, I have the best words. I know the best words. Um, the context <laughs> of that particular uh, utterance was he was talking about Obama's uh, feckless foreign policy in Syria, I believe. And he said he could call it um, incompetent, but he'd rather use sort of more basic, visceral language to describe it, that it was stupid. Um, and, of course, those are the types of words that... Trump is drawn to and relies on um, sort of very basic, basic vocabulary that often portrays things in black and white, just good or bad, uh, smart or dumb. <laughs> and, um, and so by relying on that kind of uh, polarized language of opposites with a very sort of basic vocabulary at its core, um, that's a style that Trump has, has cultivated and it worked well for him on the campaign trail, and he continues to use it as president. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Tom, thanks very much for the call and the comments. James in Detroit, you're up next on Detroit Today. Hi. Um, just real quickly, listening to him, I think it's pretty obvious he uses voice to text. He probably isn't very smart with a smartphone, um, limited vocabulary, showing a, a really a, not a very good education. Never mind the tax returns. I want to see his college transcripts <laughs> and and his use of his use of the the, the cell phone to tweet. I mean, it, it, my gosh, it throws cold water all over the Clinton email scandal. This guy's using <laughs> an unsecured phone and 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 talking to the world. So That's so 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 James, I, I appreciate the, I appreciate the call and the and the comments. I, I would say up front, I think it's unlikely that this is a voice to text because of the punctuation. Uh, if you talk into your phone, it doesn't. It would not set like in that con in that context off by by commas unless you spoke the commas 
too. Uh, so I, you know, I saw people speculating about that after those tweets came out over the weekend, and I thought immediately that that just uh, didn't ring true. But Ben Zimmerell. I'll let you have a crack at that as well. Yeah, I would agree with that because, um, you know, even though we're used to um, the various features uh, of uh, our phones now doing autocorrect, autocomplete, autosuggest, um, it can't really handle more conversational uh, styles like the use of like things that we tend to edit out when we're actually writing. Right. Um, so, so it is um, uh, unusual to see that, especially set off by commas. Uh, but I, I would still argue that it was quite purposeful of uh, Trump to do that because he's done it so often in speech, and he just chose on this one occasion uh, to mimic his own sort of speaking style um, in the tweet. And, you know, there are sometimes other sort of unconventional things that, that Trump does. Uh, for instance, when he's um, giving his various nicknames to his rivals, um, he'll, he'll sometimes throw in something a little unconventional, like, uh, Marco Rubio, who he calls Little Marco, he'll sometimes spell that as L-I-D-D-L-E. Uh, right. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean he doesn't know how to spell the word little. It's just he's using that as kind of a, a, a marker of, show, of making it almost like baby talk when referring specifically to Marco Rubio as a way of kind of infantilizing him. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's very specific. He doesn't misspell little in any other context other than when talking about Marco Rubio or, I believe, Bob Corker um, as a comment on his height somehow, <laughs> although now I think he's, he's uh, friends with Corker again, so he wouldn't call him that. Right, right. Uh, let's go to Madeline. Madeline? Madeline in Metro Detroit. Thanks for calling. Uh, yes, well, good on. morning. Thank you. Uh, let's all imagine we were a business person. We interviewed a job candidate that that said those words, not the language. I mean, the language is pitiful, but said those things. Would you hire him? And if I meet a person casually that tells me he's very, very smart and a stable genius, uh, my flags go up. Huh. Thank you. Yeah. No, Madeline, thanks very much for the for the call. I mean, uh, that's an interesting concept, too. I mean, I, I think that the language of business and the language in business in the business world is changing along with everything else. Of course, this is a president who spent all of his life before this uh, in, in the business world, presumably had a Twitter account uh, well before he decided to run for uh, for for office. Uh, you know, I. I, I, I think it's 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 maybe a mistake to jump to too many conclusions about how people judge other people's language usage anymore because of the prevalence of really different forms on uh, social media. I would agree with that, and I would say that one reason that Trump has gravitated uh, so much to Twitter as his vehicle of expression is because. Um, he can express things in ways that are very often uh, conversational, things we associate more with vernacular language. Before Trump, we would not consider it at all presidential language. Um, and uh, so it gives him an outlet to, uh, to express himself in that way um, and hold forth on whatever topic he would like to in the space of used to be 140, now 280 characters. Um, and uh, he can throw in things that may be a bit confounding, but he clearly enjoys the fact that, as for instance, as we saw last year with the notorious Kovfefe tweet, right. even if he writes pure nonsense, because perhaps 
he fell asleep in the middle of writing the word coverage and, and uh, <laughs> left it up for six hours. Um, everybody will like start wondering what in the world kofefe means. He enjoys that kind of attention. He enjoys the fact that we're hanging on to every single word of his tweet and it shows up on cable news and people are picking it apart and maybe people like me are doing armchair analysis of trying to figure <laughs> out you know what was the purpose of this particular word yeah. um and so he's he's playing with that um the, the sort of uh, form of language and for you know form of linguistic expression as a way to bring attention to himself even, even further and to have people hang on his every word yeah Okay, Ben Zimmer, linguist, lexicographer, and language columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Uh, coming up next, we're going to continue our conversation about presidential language and the history of insults from the White House. We'll keep talking about Donald Trump and his use of Twitter. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Carol and Southfield, Charlie and Royal Oak, we will get to you next. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Thomas Jefferson once famously said his political rival, John Adams, had a quote, hideous hermaphroditical character, which has neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. Harsh words from a founding father, many laud for his depth of thought and nuance. It's a good example to cite when we consider how often our leaders resort to insults when it comes to their political enemies. But the Jefferson quote is a pretty far cry from where we are today. President Donald Trump has called his rivals, quote, crooked Hillary, little Marco, low energy Jeb. Here he is talking about someone who used to be an ally, Steve Bannon. I guess uh, Sloppy Steve brought him into the White House quite a bit, and it was one of those things. That's why Sloppy Steve is now looking for a job. Sloppy Steve, a schoolyard insult for a man who helped him reach the White House. But is there really much difference between punching your political rivals with high-minded language versus remedial English? Does it achieve the same end, and does that diminish those you want to curtail? That's where we want to continue the conversation about presidential language in the wake of Donald Trump's tweets over the weekend, defensive tweets, his use of the word like in those tweets. And joining us to do that is Jeffrey Engel. He's the director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University. And he is the author of a forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Jeffrey, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, so these contrasts that I'm pointing out here, uh, that that clip we heard from Donald Trump really uh, insulting his former advisor in a really base way, uh, and that quote from Thomas Jefferson, which uh, which is a little more eloquent, but but much meaner, I think, uh, much more pointed, in fact, than almost anything that Donald Trump says. In some ways, what's different is the language, which I think is a sign of the times in which those two men lived, but the sentiment behind them is sort of the same. And it shows, I think, that we have always had this kind of 
uh, back and forth, this kind of uh, language war uh, between presidents and their rivals or enemies uh, is just the expression of those uh, those those feelings the, of that anger. It, it looks a little different in 2017 than it did in uh, 1800. Well, I, and I think there's a fundamental difference between uh, the, the two types of criticisms, of insults that you're describing, because Jefferson's was uh, primarily done in the private sphere, in letters, in private conversation. Um, there, Jefferson obviously had no means of speaking to 400 million people <laughs> right. in, 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 a heart, in a heartbeat. Um, uh, whereas what we're seeing in Donald Trump is essentially the kinds of things that we would expect a person to be saying behind the scenes, mm-hmm. saying them not only in front of the camera, but also with his phone, of course. And essentially, um, we always knew that presidents, of course, cursed up a blue streak and, and had enemies and could say awful things about their political rivals. But when they were in front of the camera, they typically acted, shall we say, presidential. Uh, and this is something that Donald Trump has clearly decided just simply not to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, Trump in in particular, and the way that uh, that he uses insult. Uh, the, the the guest we had on before was talking about how more of what he does is intentional than we might believe. That 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 even some of the mistakes, even some of the the or apparent mistakes. Are, are ways to get people to talk about him and talk about his language usage, uh, talk about and focus on what he wants them to focus on rather than, than the things he doesn't really want to talk about. Do you, do you believe that that's uh, something that all presidents have, have done? Is that what Jefferson was up to, for well, instance? Well, again, you know, there is a fundamental difference in the way that, that Donald Trump is speaking then and, and acting and conceiving of himself as president than prior presidents. And the way he uses language is actually a very good example. I, I, I honestly can't tell you how much of his uh, language, how much of his discussion, how much of his tweets are intentional or are simply just a good window into his inner soul. But I do know that when President Trump talks about issues and uses the word I and talks about policy issues and in particular foreign policy issues and talks about his personal influence. I did this. I did that. He even said recently that just this week that the reason that North and South Korea are at the negotiating table is because I got them there. That may very well be true. We won't know for another 35, 40 years till the diplomatic record opens. But the truth is, previous presidents would not have made that comment. A previous president who managed to get negotiations going in North and South Korea wouldn't say anything about it because they know that this is a sensitive topic and whatever they say gets moved around the world at light speed. And therefore, if they had worked behind the scenes to pressure the two sides together or had created the scenario where the two sides wanted to get together, the last thing that they would want to do would be to take credit for it. They want to actually see the nation and the world move forward, and that's their goal, not necessarily have their own personal popularity and their own personal agenda move forward as a goal. Yeah. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones if you want to join the conversation. Talk about presidential language as we see it today uh, from Donald Trump, as we have seen it throughout history, going back to Thomas Jefferson, who took after his political rivals with a high-minded 
whip, but also a very sharp one. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Mark in Ferndale. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my uh, one of my guilty pleasures is presidential insults throughout history, and I think, uh, <laughs> I think Jefferson's one against Adams. I mean, it looks high-minded now, and I guess it there wasn't Twitter, but that stuff getting around, I mean, that was back in the day when I believe Jefferson's vice president, Burr, shot Alexander Hamilton sure. in a duel. And not long after that, Andrew Jackson was busy chasing people around D.C. trying to beat the or you know, beat him, beat him up. So I think maybe calling someone a half man back then, regardless of how fancy the words were, was pretty brutal. And um, it seems like there were a lot of. You know, like Grover Cleveland, ma, ma, where's my pa? He's gone to the White House, ha, ha, ha. Like yeah. a lot of those things may not sound as bad now, but I think at the time they were pretty nasty. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. thanks, guys. I love it. I, I wish I could listen to hours of uh, presidential <laughs> insults. Thank you. Maybe we'll put that together for you one day, Mark. I appreciate uh, I appreciate the call, uh, Jeffrey Engel. The, yeah. the, the seriousness of the, of the insults, as Mark points out, was was quite different. Oh, yeah, then. but, you know, he also brings up something that's really quite important. And, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but here's a place where we're seeing Donald Trump uh, act in an unusual way for president, in that the insults, you know, the, the, the campaign insults, where's my, where's my uh, pa gone to the White House, ha, 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 which is a wonderful campaign insult, those are usually used by people directed at the president or by the president's advisors or subordinates or political allies. Huh. There's a very, I mean, think of the president, if you will, as being in a hu- the center of a huge target, and everybody's taking shots at them. But there's very few instances in history where a president has actually shot back, if you will, on a personal level. Usually they leave that to their underlings. And again, saying all kinds of awful things behind the scenes. Uh-huh. But politically, it's usually better for the president to be above the fray, to be not to engage in schoolyard fights, uh, and frankly, to let others use that. And, and uh, I want to be clear, presidents do encourage their, their allies to use that kind of insulting language and to, to uh, try to knock down their political opponents. But again, they let their allies do it. They don't do it themselves. Right, right. And in that way, Trump is definitely um, a, a different animal, right? I mean, this is somebody who is is out there, uh, fists up in in a verbal sense, every day. It seems like ready to take on uh, anybody he he perceives as as a threat. Yeah, and in fact, what's really fascinating to me is and looking at the historical record. Andrew Jackson, which was mentioned just a moment ago, is actually a pretty good analogy or pretty good comparison, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and for the following reason, that Jackson had a habit, uh, he couldn't help himself, but to turn every political fight into a personal fight. So if you disagreed with him on a policy issue, you didn't agree with him on the policy issue, he hated you because that meant that you disagreed with him. Right. And right. clearly we're seeing Donald Trump do that. Anytime that a person praises him, then he says he likes the person. Anytime <laughs> a person disagrees with his policy, that person is well, worthy of being insulted. It's really a very unusual thing for a president to personalize policy in this way. Really, we have to go back to Jackson to find it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take one more call here. Aaron on the west side of Detroit. Welcome to Detroit hey, today. Hey, go ahead, Aaron. Well, and, and I just wanted to remind you guys that if you talk about any subject long enough, you can make it sound like it makes sense. 
maybe we should just acknowledge what we see. Maybe like the little kid from the crowd said, maybe the emperor is buck naked. <laughs> right. And so in this it, case, metaphorically, maybe he's classless, scrupulous, mindless. <laughs> and so you're saying that, that, that you you don't much care for the for the exercise of trying to parse through what he's saying or doing. You just think it's it's absurd. You know, er, everything he does, he's creating reality as he goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron, I I appreciate the comment. I think that's that's absolutely well worth uh, considering. Uh, and noting Jeffrey Engel, yeah. I'll give you a chance to to respond. Well, and and, and it raises a really interesting point in that um, we have to remember that anybody who seeks the Oval Office um, is, by definition, you know, an, an egoist, a, a person who has an incredibly high opinion of yourself. I mean, for you to believe that among all the other Americans, whether it's you know nine million in in 1780s or whether it's 300 million today, that you alone are qualified. That's incredibly hubristic, and that's incredibly narcissistic. However, uh, we seem to be seeing Donald Trump take it to a whole other level, and that he is essentially making himself into the White House, not yeah. necessarily being the one who is capable of managing things but, and having a good ego that, that, that is required, an unusual ego, a super ego, but rather instead turning it to another level and making the su- success of the administration his own success. I mean, we can look just this last week at the president's really remarkable tweet that there have been no uh, fatalities in aviation crashes over the last year, and then subsequently taking credit for it. Well, frankly, <laughs> previous presidents would have, if they had mentioned that fact, would have said, great job, everybody, yes. instead of great job, me. Right, right. Very, very, very different approach. Okay, Jeffrey Engel, director of the Center for Presidential History at Southern Methodist University, author of the forthcoming book, When the World Seemed New, George H.W. Bush and the End of the Cold War. Thanks very much for joining us here. Always good to talk to you. Absolutely. All right, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. The technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevathan. And our associate producers are Aaron Allen and Gus Navarro. The Detroit Today theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. Remember, if you had to step away from your radio you had to go into work or for any reason during the hour, you don't have to miss out on a conversation here on Detroit Today. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can take us with you and listen when you are ready. This is WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tomorrow.